Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is another episode of the Wacky World of Energy being recorded on the 16th. Now, I've just got my breakfast in me, so I hope I'm not too groggy with it, but I'm pretty excited about these stories. I mean, Anthony, it's not we're not oracles, are we? We're just reading the news, making good predictions, and they're coming to fruition, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's amazing what a little bit of observation can do, mm-hmm. right? And you just observe it obvious things in a lot of cases but uh you're out there you're the one actually seeking the information you're not just sitting back on somebody tell you everything right mm-hmm. so it can make you look smarter than you actually are right and so <clears throat> where we're going with this is uh golly what was it a couple weeks ago yeah month two ago, or three maybe when did we have our whenever we had our episode about the uh the biden administration was going to uh increase the royalties mm-hmm. on federal leases yeah yeah, they were going to increase them from twelve and a half percent to eighteen and three quarters percent. It's basically a fifty percent hike in your top line. The government's taking, right? And and one of the things we uh, we kind of talked about is, you know, I just it's hard to think there's going to be a lot of industry interest for that. It's tough to justify, especially right now. I mean, some people are hedged in at positions even lower. There's not a lot of free cash to go around, even with high commodity prices. But this was just not a deal they wanted to bite on. Ah, geez. We have this article that comes out. And this article that comes out, we actually actually found a couple days after our last recording. And so this article is dated May 11th, 2022 from Axios. And the title is, Biden administration cancels three major offshore oil lease sales. Cancels. Well, it doesn't take much digging into the article here. We just go down a little bit here. You know, the Interior Department announced Wednesday. So this would have been uh, Wednesday of last week. This would have been uh, just a day or two after our last recording, um, I believe. Maybe the week before. Either way, it was this month that it won't proceed with plans for three oil gas, oil and gas lease sales in the Gulf of Mexico and Alaska's Cook Inlet in federal waters here. So, you know, they have this thing in here, why it matters, you know, the move that all but ends the likelihood the U.S. government selling new drilling leases in coastal waters in 2022 comes as gas, gasoline, um, this is a consumer-facing article, prices hit all-time highs, yeah, yeah, it's another win for environmental groups. We ought to yeah, call them the, the pro-Russian group <laughs> right now. Yeah, it's all about how you frame it, but this is what we Bottom line, you're right. Yeah. Cutting but, more but, out, people didn't yeah, want but, in. Lack of yeah. industry interest in leasing. There in we go. Boom. Driving the news. The Interior Department said in emailed statement, so they wrote this down too, that, quote, due to lack of industry interest in leasing the area gee i wonder why there was lack of industry interest in federal leasing yeah this was just a that's a bureaucratic way of saying this deal sucked (laughs) well they see one lease that was sold in the gulf of mexico months ago and a federal judge basically threw it out oh they didn't do enough research on climate impact blah up Nobody wants to do business. If you're in the industry industry, if you are in the industry of energy, energy industry, oil and gas, why do you want to do business with the federal government by choice right now? Mm-hmm. They're exactly. hostile to what you do, right? 
they're changing the rules on you. I mean, you, you, can, you can even get it through the Department of the Interior and then the federal judge may throw it out. And so, gee, I wonder why there's lack of industry interest when on top of all that stuff, you also said that the royalties are going to go up 50%. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not 100% sure if these leases that were put out there were subject to the new leasing royalty rates, but it seems as if it's very likely. Mm -hmm. And all they want to say is due to lack of industry interest. So the Department of Interior is what? Wanting to throw our industry under the bus for not wanting to go, oh, it's not our fault. You know, the industry just didn't want to do it. We, you know, we gave them, we gave them the opportunity. Right. G it, gave me the opportunity to what? Drive into a tree? Yeah, Fuck. it's a foolish argument. Oh, come on, man. I don't want to do things that I just don't perceive as going to be good trajectory. Like, mm -hmm. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, like and it's said, not. Yeah. There's two options. You've got work with the federal government, work with these lease rates, or do things privately where it's probably going to be, honestly, easier to get through working with people who are excited to work versus yeah. people who are trying to put up line after line of red tape to prevent you from doing exactly what you want to do. Yeah. When you frame it like that, yeah, of course there was a, quote, lack of industry interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have we have a spokesperson here in this article to finish it up um, from the American Petroleum Institute in an emailed statement saying, unfortunately, this is becoming a pattern. The administration talks about the need for more supply and acts to restrict it. I have to agree with him here. I just do. <clears throat> Quote, as geopolitical volatility and global energy prices continue to rise, we again urge the administration to end the uncertainty and immediately act on a new five-year program for federal offshore leasing. I just don't see them doing it. They're right. not going to, probably. Right. Um, so, you know, all this in the backdrop of moving on to our, our next article. Tavis, I'll let you tee, I would like you to tee this one up. The OPEC Plus production target. Oh, of course. So that last article we talked about stands in stark contrast to these next couple that we have because, as you know, commodity prices, commodity supplies getting even tighter. We need all we can get right now, so it's not exactly great to read the headline, OPEC Plus misses production target by a whopping 2.7 million barrels per day. And Woo! <laughs> that's, that's nothing small. We're not 150,000 barrels shy. We are in the millions now, and... I think I wrote yeah. an article last week. I'll go ahead and link it right here. But we talked about there's lots of people who could step up to the plate and really take care of production. But they've all got their problems, whether it's Libya dealing with their force majeure or Iran navigating a new nuclear deal. Yeah, we have all these resources that we are ready to produce, but for whatever reason, people can't quite get to it. This article from Dayton. Oh, yeah. Source. Uh, so this article is from Oil Price. It was written May 12, 2022, and we'll take a look at the body here. The top three OPEC producers, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and the UAE, saw the highest increases in their respective oil production last month, while output in Libya plunged by 161,000 barrels per day to below 1 million barrels per day at 913,000. So even when small incremental gains are being made by your big boys, your Saudi Arabia, your UAE, You've got other countries losing more and more of their capacity, their base load. Well, and the other thing, too, that I would like to point out. Okay, so we have issues with Libya and oil production and other OPEC countries. And news flash, everybody. There's always been 
issues with a handful of OPEC countries, yeah. right? Civil yeah. wars, fighting, Nukes. you know, insurrection movements, you know, rebels backed from other countries. I mean, this is nothing new. This isn't a new cadence. Like, all of a sudden, OPEC nations aren't the most stable politically. <laughs> wow, no. No, geopolitical tension is the expectation. Yeah. The difference this time around is that all the smaller OPEC nations and all the general not that out of the norm level of, I guess, political volatility within the OPEC countries, as far as, you know, how they're dealing with things within their own borders and blah, blah, blah. That's kind of been around. But that doesn't lead you to miss by 2.7 million barrels a day. How do you miss by 2.7 million barrels a day? Yeah, that's not just a miss. That's not an oopsie. That's a big, that's a we whiff. have a problem. <laughs> oh, God. Well, and we talked about this internally at Rare Petra even two years ago, you know, during when COVID was going, yes, there was demand destruction. And yes, it happened overnight. Why? Because people were genuinely afraid overnight, literally overnight, stopped driving. The roads went empty. I mean, the 405 was empty. It looked like a scene from a post-apocalyptic movie or something. Mm -hmm. So that hasn't happened since. But when you have a planet that is always using approximately 100 million barrels a day, and overnight, almost, a good chunk of the, in, of the world says, oh, my God, I'm afraid I'm just going to sit in my house for a couple of days or a week or two and see what's up. Yeah, that's going to overflow tanks and overflow supply reservoirs and floating storage real quick and drive the prices into the basement. Mm -hmm. That stuff, no matter all the lockdowns and everything that happened since, that has, yes, had some impact on energy demand but that was that first out of the gate everybody was afraid boom nobody went anywhere okay that's what made everything flow over well then essentially though we're two years later now and we've had lack of investment in the oil and gas industry in by and large since around 2015 when there was the price war saudi arabia tried to flood the gates and kill oil in the United States, the drives down the prices. I mean, you're looking the summer 2014, oil's around $100 a barrel. And come the following February, you know, oil is down under 40 or 50, you know, big drop. And then, and then we just kind of hang out in this lull in the industry for years, you know, even before COVID. I'm like, oh, it wasn't, you know, people weren't, there wasn't a bunch of CapEx going on compared to before 2015. And then you have the you have the you know grand finale after years from 2015 until 2020 of underinvestment. Then you have this COVID demand destruction thing going on, and it even stoked that even more. And then we were bought time as a planet to just kind of work off the excess inventories from those initial global. Oh man, what's going on? I don't want to move anywhere. And, and now we have, now the chickens are coming home to roost, okay? Now we're seeing that these countries, I mean, when they announced, when OPEC announced their production targets, you know, it was a phased reintroduction of oil production every month of around 400,000 barrels a day for a year and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they've missed... I think six or seven months in a row missed as in 
their production was under what they could have produced. Yeah, it wasn't okay. even close. And the gap every month on trends seems to be getting wider. Yep. You know, first it was 103% compliance. Then it was 105% compliance. Then it was 116% compliance. And these, <laughs> the higher the number, the lower their production compared to their target in this, yeah. in this one I'm talking about here. So this is continuing to get bigger. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the only thing that changes this problem is long-term plans to develop more. And, you know, Europe's scrambling just to mainly immediately backfill any energy sources that they have been getting from Russia in part or entirely. <clears throat> and you have us in the United States saying, we're going to help Russia and supply all this stuff. And uh, I don't know, we're not really all that crazy about developing a bunch nope. here. So where's I mean, you got the uh, yeah. I mean, you've got even the CEO of Pioneer Resources some months back, pretty large U.S. shale player, said, "I don't care if oil is 200 bucks a barrel. We're going five percent this year. They mm -hmm. want to drill up all their inventory, mm -hmm. right?" So we have a growing by the month supply and demand gap, and what's happening here is that the supply just can't keep up with the demand, even if the demand is not rising currently because of China lockdowns. And that, that kind of leads to our, our next article, another oil price article, um, May 16th, 2022. This is actually the day of our recording this week. Here's the, here's the headline. China's oil demand may rebound if Shanghai reopens in June. Um, as of June 1st, Shanghai authorities are set to allow broad reopening with gradual increases in domestic flights. China's zero COVID policies have been weighing on global oil demand. Hmm. So here we have oil still sitting around over a hundred dollars a barrel. And yeah, a lot of this is because of the uncertainty from Russia coming into the Ukraine, but oil was heading to a hundred dollars a barrel, everybody before that started easily. What that did was it just accelerated oil to pop over a hundred dollars for the first time in many years. Okay. I mean, you can just look up the oil price graph anywhere. I mean, it's all over the place. Go anywhere you want, you know, Google it, search it, you know, whatever it doesn't, it's all over the place. I mean, oil prices were going up anyway. All right. This whole thing started in mid February, mid late February with the Ukraine thing. All right. And, 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 and oil prices before that actually kicked off were still over $90 mm -hmm. and they were trending higher anyway. And so with all of this, OPEC can't make their production. People don't want to develop more, at least with federal assistance. Although we talked about before in the United States, federal lands as a percentage aggregate of all global, you know, macro US oil production is a fairly small percentage. Uh, it's still... It's still another weight, isn't it? That we just can't get extra oil out there real quick, you know? Oh, yeah. Even China so, right now, their setup is best case scenario. I mean, a country of 1.5 billion people, Shanghai itself, uh, 29 million, some form or another, lots of those people are restricted or in lockdowns, forcefully even. You lift that ban up, you let people get out and go back to what they're doing, that's only going to further stress those shortages. I mean, I'm not particularly, well, I'm excited to see how high the price can go, but it does come at the cost of hurting 
pretty much every consumer because energy is going to be a feedstock for whatever we produce. So I think China is going to put more strain on it. Come June 1st, rest of that month, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw gas back above $8, maybe 9 especially through these heat waves. Oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself there. But this China situation is really best case scenario right now. I hate to say yeah. that. Yeah, and to, and, to, and to put some quantification on this, you know, I mean, OPEC, <clears throat> the same in going on in the article here, OPEC's second quarter 2022 demand estimate was re revised down by a massive 670,000 barrels a day to 98.44 million barrels per day. That's global demand estimate that OPEC put out there due to the China's lockdowns. Okay. Mm. Um, but the average global oil demand is set, this continues, to exceed the 100 million barrel per day mark in the third and fourth quarters with Q4 demand seen at 102.64 million barrels per day per the cartel's latest monthly market, monthly oil market report, MOMR. At the start of the second quarter, Chinese in April, Chinese refiners slashed crude processing by 11% annually due to weak demand. So it was now that 12.61 million barrels per day last month, and it was as low as since March of 2020, and compares to 13.8 million barrels a day in March of 2022, and 14.09 million barrels a day in April of 2021. So what they're trying to frame up here is basically Chinese refining throughput, oil demand for import to process or whatever through the refiners dropped by over a million barrels a day due to their lockdowns mm -hmm. compared to where it probably should have been. Uh, we're still in a situation though where OPEC misses their, their target by 2.7 million barrels a day. While China's looking to consume 2.7 more million barrels of oil themselves. <laughs> I mean, million. possibly, you know, I mean, what my point is here is that, yes, the Chinese lockdowns have had an impact to global oil demands to some degree, but less than 2 million barrels a day, according to this analysis from this article here from Oil Price, that whatever they're citing, part, I mean, it was OPEC's report, right? Um and I would point out here that nobody really knows exactly what what the oil demand is going to be in a quarter or two. But what they're trying to do is project that, okay, oil demand was at a certain level, then China locked down Shanghai and all their big cities, zero COVID policy, blah, blah, blah. And, it, and they have a pretty good estimate as to how much China has reduced their, you know, how much oil they're bringing in for refining. But again, at the same time, we have OPEC missing by 2.7 million barrels a day. Mm -hmm. And and what I have yet to see and would be shocked if it was a downward estimate is it will, if India is able to get their crude at a 30 to $40 discount per barrel, they're probably, they're probably putting through a little bit more. They're probably not doing less than they were last year mm -hmm. because – or the year before, because they're trying to take advantage of prices where they are due to a, a very unique geopolitical situation with Russia and Ukraine and all this, and the Russian crude kind of being a radioactive, if you will, from a financial concept. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've got, we, we have a continuing situation here 
where, and of course, U.S. inventories continue to go down. Distillate inventories are at 17-year lows. Mm -hmm. We'll see what this week's report has to say. But yeah, I mean, so yes, China, to to just kind of frame this up, so we'll move on. Yes, the lockdowns in China have weighed on global oil demand, but OPEC's misses are bigger. Mm -hmm. And everything from any major oil industry producer, you got the top three in the world are the United States, Saudi Arabia, and Russia. And I think that's the order that they're currently in. The United States from a government aspect, isn't exactly doing a lot in reality to help get more production. From a private market aspect, um, you also have this backdrop of a bunch of shareholders just wanting returns, a bunch of debt being bought down, this and that, not nearly the pace of drilling activity. I mean, you can plot U.S. onshore rig count versus oil prices. And I'll tell you right now, if you only looked at rig count, you wouldn't think oil is at a hundred dollars a barrel, right? Oh now. no, of course not. Yeah. So, and then you've got Saudi Arabia. Well, they're obviously having a harder time getting excess on the market, and they're using this whole we see demand destruction as we just don't really want to put a whole lot. I mean, it's their report, it's OPEC's report. There's demand destruction, so that's another reason for them to say we're not going to put more oil on the market right now mm-hmm. because we don't want to shoot ourselves in the foot. And then you've got Russia. Well, Russia's another big producer, and we all know what's going on with that, right? We have their crude largely being um, just trying – people are trying to avoid it, although it's still making its way into global supplies. It's just doing it at a discount, right? So it's a very interesting oil situation we have um, politically, geopolitically, macro, all these things. It's just very – you know, the financial system too. It's, it's, uh, it's teeing up for – I mean, it's hard to see oil prices, you know, I, energy demand does not seem to be going any direction as far as the um, inventories are concerned. Yeah. The demand seems to be outpacing supply and has been so on trend for about a year and a half. Oh, yeah. Any way you cut it, demand is going to be back to 2019 levels soon, and we do not have a whole lot of infrastructure looking to supply back to what we were in 2019. And so, never, never uh, worry though. Government's here to help. Yeah. Oh yeah. So man, are. yeah. If they know that there's going to be this, you know, I think anybody really follows this at all, even government, whether they speak out in favor or opposition of the oil and gas industry. I think a lot of people, at least a, a, a critical mass of people, understand. Yeah. Now supplies are getting down. Energy's going to become a little little more volatile, a little, uh, you know, it's going to create other problems. So now we have uh, states. Yeah, we're bringing it back <laughs> yeah. home, and our next uh, couple of articles are talking yeah. about, well. Uh, conserving energy, yeah? Tavis, yeah. what's this well, next one for That's Texas? the idea. So this is an article from Yahoo.com. I, I don't know if we've used Yahoo yet, but they did a short, sweet, succinct little article titled, Texans Urge to Conserve Energy After Heat Wave Knocks Power Plants Offline. And this was released by a Joshua Espinoza on the 14th, last Saturday. I'm sure some of you have heard about this, but I'll just read directly from the article because they put it well. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas, as we know, ERCOT, manages most of the state's main electrical grid. They made the request Friday after rising temperatures caused a drastic spike in power demand. 
The organization said the demand was so high that it caused six power facilities to go offline unexpectedly. According to CNN, the plant failures resulted in a loss of about 2,900 megawatts of generation, Whoa. enough electricity to power roughly 580,000 homes. So already wow. we've got, what, I'm going to guess almost somewhere between 1.5 to 2 million people without power because it's too hot. <laughs> and it's, it's a shame, especially after we, for those of you who may not remember, last year, last February, scroll to the bottom, they talk about it, ERCOT's request comes more than a year after a winter storm caused statewide power outages. The crisis resulted in more than 200 deaths, most of which were linked to hypothermia. So we just don't have the baseload power supply for some reason, despite all of these energy resources, especially in Texas, and it's leading to archaic forms of death, dying to the elements, something that should have been left in the early 1900s once we established this energy infrastructure to heat our homes so we could live in Aspen or cool our homes so we could live in the southern United States. And quite frankly, it's upsetting because last year the argument was, oh, the grid's not winterized. And this year, it wasn't winter, it was summer, and we're seeing so many people being hurt. Yeah. And I don't want a hospital to have a power outage should something like this happen. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, going on here, CNN reports the temperatures in Texas to reach the 90s. <laughs> oh, man, 90 degrees? That's they what say, put the strain on this? Uh, I Good guess. God. They say roughly 10 to 15 degrees above average mm -hmm. for this time of year. Okay. I mean, essentially... What they're trying to do here, it, yes, it does get hotter, but they're talking about how May is considered a shoulder month. This is from the article, a time of the year where generation facilities intentionally go offline so the team can perform necessary maintenance before the summer season. So they basically, they know that the summers are going to be really hard on the utility systems and the winters, you know, but the spring should be more mild. It's a good time to, you, you're thinking you don't need to have as much capacity potentially online for demand so it's a good time to do work well i mean yeah i i mean that's true but i just keep seeing that we have more and more utility i mean we have uh what's our next article for california here tavis mm -hmm. yeah california to spend 5.2 billion dollars on electricity reserve to avoid blackouts this is uh, from May 13th. California has proposed spending $5.2 billion on creating, <laughs> I love the names these guys always come up with, a quote, strategic electri electricity reliability reserve that would help the state avoid blackouts. You know, I know what a good energy reserve is. It's called a gas reservoir. Yeah, big old cavern of natural gas ready to use when you need it. Yeah. But don't you worry, the government's here to help. California is also set to retire 6,000 megawatts of nuclear and gas-fired energy production. Oh, my That's the God. part that blows my mind. So we're spending money to build energy infrastructure while we simultaneously decommission energy infrastructure in a state that has, in very recent history, struggled, especially through wildfire season, to provide energy for its people, a state of rolling blackouts. This is the plan? Yeah, upsetting, so the new budget calls for funds for the purpose of, quote, climate resilience and integrated climate 
equity and economic opportunity across the state's budget to mobilize a coordinated all of government response to the climate crisis. Guys, you have an energy supply crisis. Yeah, climate resilience, what, 90 degree weather rolling through early? That's Your problem is, <laughs> your problem at hand is energy supply to your people. Mm -hmm. And your solution is to blame the climate boogeyman and then justify shutting down 6,000 megawatts of reliable in place currently nuclear and natural gas generation facilities for electricity. <laughs> At least they say in the article, but renewables in California's electricity exports have also stressed the grid. The reserve will now be developed to use existing generation capacity that was scheduled to retire. New generation, new storage projects, clean backup generation projects, customer side load reduction capacity that is visible and dispatchable by California during grid emergencies and diesel and natural gas backup generation projects, which the budget document stressed would have emission controls in all required permits. Of note, there were two items in that list, existing generation capacity that was scheduled to retire and diesel and natural gas backup generation projects. So maybe they're gonna hold pump the brakes a little bit on retiring some of their energy generation capacity, yeah? I hope. That seems to make the most sense here. If you're short on energy, let's not decommission facilities. This is a very short article. We've pretty much read the whole thing already. <laughs> yeah. um, they're trying to address issues, and they're using the climate situation as the reason for the issues. But when it really comes down to it, it sounds as if, again, that the items on the list that they're going to include for their strategic electricity reliability reserve were quote existing generation capacity that was scheduled to retire and diesel and natural gas backup generation project it's a good start but still it seems like spending money for no reason what are we taking these facilities offline bringing them back online yeah. the costs are being passed down and I was on my first tour of duty in Bakersfield, right? We'll call it that. And I was talking to a homeowner who said, yeah, they've adjusted electricity rates. So the solar panels on my house that would have provided a return on investment will not. Because at this point, he's getting not as much money back for yeah, the solar gee. panels. So these economic setup, these <laughs> studies, you go, oh, cool. In 20 years, it will have paid for itself. But the rates of electricity keep going up because of these shortages. And you've essentially, yeah. I don't know, added value to your home, I guess. According yeah, to who it, you're selling to? It's a statistical nightmare. These governments, they do these programs. They pilot these programs. Oh, let's go out there and, and get a bunch of solar panels. Let's subsidize that. And then they come out and say, look, solar's cheap. <laughs> and their subsidies are the government's actually kicking in money, mm. not just giving them tax reductions. Yep. Okay, There's a difference between the two, everybody. Oh, and then all of a sudden, you got a couple million people with solar panels on their roof. Uh, we're going to have to up the rates on you too, buddy, because we can't, you know, like, as it turns out, you can't just give a subsidy to everybody. Eventually, somebody's got to pay for it. Hmm. 
And so mass scale rollouts of rege you know, renewable regeneration projects that if one of their arguments is, ooh, you could save too much money over the life of this thing, blah, really, until everybody has it and the government says, oh, we're going to have to up the rates on you too. Mm -hmm. Gee, big freaking surprise. Yeah, we're being sold a green pipe dream at this point. And you know, and yeah, exactly. And, and, and electricity is meant to move everybody, okay? When too much electric potential builds up and it needs to move, you have things like lightning bolts. Electricity meant to move, meant to move. Does not want to hang, hang out and stay still. And so supplying electricity is a constant dance of what's the demand versus what are we generating. You can't just shove all these extra volts and all this extra current in and the electricity's hanging out in the ether just waiting for somebody to suck it up. You have to constantly balance it. Mm -hmm. So when you have systems like solar farms and wind farms, some of the day they're generating more, some of the day they're not generating at all. Some of the month they're generating more, some of the month they're not. So it's up, down, up, down, up, down. So you're constantly doing this balance game between the things that are intermittent, green quote-unquote projects up down on yeah up down up down they're reliable to be unreliable and intermittent i can tell you that mm. and you're constantly trying to balance that out with your base load generation capacity i mean anybody who's driven a car in their life understands the difference between city miles and highway miles mm. oh highway miles are great because you're just coasting you know you know you're not hitting the brakes and the gas pedal all the time if you're on actual open interstate but when you're in the city or in clogged areas, it's stop, go, stop, go, stop, go. It's hard on the whole system, right? Up, down, up, down, up, down. Do you think a massive power generation facility is immune to the same realities <laughs> of mechanics and physics? No. No. If you not. introduce things that create the need for it to constantly up, down, up, down, up, down, and you roll them out too fast, especially, you create more stress on the system inherently. Yeah, because that natural gas-fired stuff was constant or they knew what would be expected of it and it was easy to adjust that's not the up down up down but again you have to balance that out so i'm excited to see what they do with their electrical grid but at this point it's it's a pretty bleak outlook from what i can yeah see. yeah and again you know if used as supplements and identified as such mm. you know All supplemental property or su supplemental energy mm -hmm. okay supplemental electricity there's nothing wrong with it but when you're trying to basically clone the electrical generation capacity of the coal and the gas and the nuclear plants, you're trying to literally get a megawatt of solar and or wind, essentially, for every megawatt of coal, fire, or gas that you have, you've just created a massive redundancy in the system. Mm-hmm. And you're creating all these other fall-off effects, follow-on effects. So, you know, I mean, look, again, I think, you know, we're wrapping up here. It's been a good, nice 35 minutes almost, 36. It's a good one. Yeah, so we'll just, you know, let our customers, customers, we'll let our audience, <laughs> yeah, we'll let our audience just go on and digest this however they want. And um, we'll be back next week. Like Anthony said, we'll be right back. But if you end up missing us before then, go to rarepetro.com. We've got plenty of other content. I do Monday Madness, which is another sort of news outlook, and we look at statistics. We've got the monthly basin breakdown. We've got something for everybody. So, again, that's www.rarepetro.com. 
And if you'd like to say anything about this show or if you want us to bring something up next episode, you can always email us at podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at rarepetro.com. But that is the end of this episode, so thank you for joining us. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Thanks, Davis.